Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member, and for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how shockingly affordable a new Dacia is in the new year. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. A very special day on the show because today we will be acknowledging all our unsung heroes for the year past at the Valley Inn in Malera but that's to come a little later on in the show. First up today, the recent Northeast Business Awards was a fabulous occasion and I was lucky enough to be asked back again this year to compare the show. Wonderful night ensued and one of the big winners were Hodgins Hair Design from Drogheda and I'm delighted to tell you that the man who began it all is with me on late lunch today, Eamon Kearns. You're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. Congratulations again. What a night that was. Yeah, it was a wonderful night. We were thrilled and surprised indeed. Um I suppose from a personal point of view the the winning of the family business of the year uh you know made me very very happy because it brought back big memories of of the family and how far back it goes. But uh, I suppose the real winners in the night are the staff down in Stockwell Street. Uh, Jacinta and her very able assistant Lisa McMaster and to say a word about Lisa Lisa came to me for a job before she was 14 and uh, she has two children now and they're in their 20s and we don't seem to be able to get rid of her at all she's there the whole time <laughs> so the standard of hairdressing down there between Jacinta and Lisa alone would be 70 years between them and then they followed up by, by with others like Sinead and Debbie and uh, Ellen and Jasmine I could go on but they are the people who won this award and you don't stay in business as long as Hodgins and hairdressing stroke Kearns uh, you don't stay there that long unless you have the staff but look I mentioned you were the man who was involved in the early days but hairdressing in the Kearns family goes way back true to say it even goes back before the foundation of the Irish state yes well that's that's perfectly true um as i say i don't know if i said it or not but stockwell street opened about about 1939 which leaves it at 80 years there but the kearns family goes back further my uncle peter opened on the key somewhere around 1914 and he trained my uncle tom and he trained my father he was the eldest of 10 children who were orphaned very young and he married late in life and he indeed he was the father of paddy kearns the late paddy uh, who was a great worker for charity for cf and uh, 
yeah, Peter was a great footballer as well. And well known to kind of back a horse and all that. He used to tell the story, uh, you know, I wouldn't go into Kieran's for a haircut. And why is that? Well, you'd either get the bite of a dog or the kick of a horse. But that was, <laughs> uh, that was the story as it was told at the time. I love and, uh, it. I absolutely love it. So the family, it was in the family before your time. Long term business, a Drogheda family based locally. Tell us about you and your background. You come from a family of five. Five. Yeah, four boys and one girl. And the girl, in, in spite of all the men that had barbers around the town, my sister decided to serve her time to be a ladies' hairdresser. And she worked with Kitty McNally, or Kitty Johnson was her name, in, in Shop Street. And she got married in 1953. And like now, the housing wasn't too plentiful. And herself and her husband, John, they... Uh, got an opportunity of take, renting two Lawrence Street. So there were two two floors, two rooms on each floor, so, uh, uh, first, second and third floor. So she opened a little salon on the first floor and that was the start of Betty of Hutton's. And uh, that was 1953 and I started in 1957 then. I was only 14, just coming 15 uh, at that time. And... Um, I was working there. I was quite happy. A girl called Mary Kyo, married to Peter, married to Peter Judge. Uh, she was there before me, and I was training with her. And uh, somewhere around the end of 1958, I decided this is not happening quickly enough. So I upped and I went off over to London, to where Jim was working, to get some more experience. And that would prove to be wonderful, because... Uh, Colouring was at a very low standard, just coming out. The perming was changing. At that, before that, they used to have these heavy perms, Jerry, and uh, you know they'd weigh a ton and they'd be very heavy. And this was always going to go out. And the flat finger waves were there. They were changing to rollers. Now at that stage, we could put in a roller, but look, God only knew what way it was going to turn out. So. Off I went to London anyway, and I was over there. And while I was there, the following October, November, I had shared a bed sit with Jim, Jim and his late wife, Betty. They decided to get married, and I was best man, and I wasn't going to be the third party in the marriage. So on the 8th of December, actually, um, 1958, I came home, and I started working in Lanza Street again to finish off, and I haven't left since. So you talk about Lawrence Street, and, and interesting, that was something that I was always curious about, where the name Hodgins came from, but it was Betty's, Betty's married name. Betty's married name, yes. Now, um, how did, did Stockwell Street then happen? Yes, well, I'll tell you how it happened. Um, we, I was in Lawrence Street, got married in 66, and had two children, like all good Irish families in the 60s. Um, Eamon was born on the 11th month, lucky enough, and Jacinta was born 13 months after that, about the 23rd of March and April. We had a mortgage in Mount St. Oliver. It was a big sum of £16, 16 shillings a month, and that was £4, 4 shillings a week. And, you know, at that time, it was hard enough to have the £4, 4 shillings a week. So... A young girl called Dorothy Winters was working with me, Newtown Stalaban, and we had a meeting one day and we said, look, you know, it's it's just not happening, what do we want to do? And she was like myself, she always wanted to progress and do what was going to be coming in. Fidel Sassoon had been in Bond Street in the 60s. He was now becoming world famous for his $5,000 haircut. And funny enough, uh, 
from the background I came from, in the ladies' hairdressing salon at that time, there was no such thing as a hand dryer. They were all hooded dryers. They'd be wheeled around the place. And um, to dry somebody's hair, you'd just put them under the hooded dryer. But these hand dryers now, Fidel Sistering was doing haircuts, like a gent's haircut, holding hair between his fingers, graduating with scissors up the back, and then he was blow-drying them off with a, a hand dryer. So I thought, well, you know, that should come up fairly easily. So Ailish and I saved up £100, and I went to Pierre Alexander in Manchester, and I did a week's course under a chap called John Pierre's. And I had a wonderful week staying in a terrible pub, staying in a bedroom upstairs, and I didn't drink at the time. And I thought I'd never get home, to be honest. But I learned so much that I kept going and kept going. And we've been doing that since. Every year, two and three times a year, then progressed to a company called Jingles, then on to Sassoon's themselves, and even Jacinta and Lisa, they would still go to Sassoon's twice a year. To keep so constant up. learning and moving on with the yes. trends and the times has always been a philosophy. Well, that you've isn't had. isn't education the thing to Absolutely. move with it? I mean, you know, if if, if you were doing so, if I said to me, if I said to you, Jerry, do you know I was wonderful in 1956? I could do finger waves. You'd say, well, that must have been great. I'm glad you remember it. <laughs> you know, but yeah. no, we 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 went back over, and then when we were sending the girls, we had a rule. And I think most people, training people here, will will identify with this. We had a rule that you, when you were serving your time with Hodgins and Nansel Street, you had to have a model on a Monday night. And then when you progressed, you got a model on a Tuesday night as well. And when you were sent on a course to the like of Sassoon's or Jingles or any of those, when you came back, you had to do a demonstration for the rest of the staff. And while everybody thought it was for the rest of the staff... It was for myself or Jacinta or Lisa to listen to see, did you actually understand the haircut and the technique? And that was the purpose of it. And I think this is where we're lacking at the moment. Okay, interesting point of view from a man with vast experience. But again, Stockwell Street, what year was that? Oh, sorry. Stockwell Street, Jim, Jim became sick in about 1984. He took a stroke. And the salon was there, and we had sent him over some staff about 1980. Uh, he changed the barber shop into a unisex, which at the time was kind of the coming thing in there. And uh, so we sent him over staff, which was great for me, because at that time I had 17 working in Lawrence Street. So that relieved three people out into Stockwood Street, me back down to 14. I had opened a little shop in the arcade in West Street with a girl called Deirdre Faulkner, a wonderful worker, and no problem opening in their partnership with her because, again, an assured clientele. So that was another four that was gone. So I was now down to staff nine or ten, and the profits came up instead of going down. Client base went down, but the profits went up, name of the game. So we were all very happy. We called there the shop at that time Hodgins 2, T-O-O, as opposed to T-W-O, and then we changed Stockwell Street to... Hodgins as well. So you got into Stockwell Street when Jim... When Jim got sick, sailing yes, health and health, health, yes, well. yes. You moved in there. I moved in and took over, and I never worked in it. I just into, went into it straight Your away. Your daughter? Yes. 
Eamon Cairns is with us today. We're talking about Hodgins hair design on Stockwell Street. The winner of not one but two awards at the North East Business Awards 2019. Besides all your years in the business, the working in Lawrence Street, down in Hodgins on Stockwell Street and the other you mentioned as well in the arcade. What besides hairdressing? You mentioned horses and, and dogs when you were talking about the history of the family and the business. You're a big man when it comes to the greyhounds. Yeah, I'm very interested in greyhounds. And, uh, you know, I always have a couple in the back. In fact, I, I had uh, one running yesterday. And uh, I'm, ashamed, well, I'm not ashamed to say it because most of the boys will be laughing at me. Uh, I have never had a dog run as badly <laughs> as, as as I did yesterday. You've heard of being beaten by half the field. Well, it was at least half the field that she was beaten. But... Uh, when I got home and looked at her, the poor little thing, she had a little sore, sore gum. And uh, we treated that this morning and she eat up at lunchtime there for me. So she's she's quite happy in herself. She's she's no pet of a thing. She comes to the back door and comes in and wags her tail at Ailish. Well, that's fairly cute because she'll get grubbed there. So <laughs> It's certainly a special animal in your house. Where did the dogs begin or the greyhounds come from? Does that go back as well? That goes back as well. Yeah, my, Apparently, my Uncle Peter, again, uh, was very good with uh, with greyhounds. My dad and Tom was involved as well. My uncle Sonny, God be good to him, he was very involved as well. And John, my brother, he was also keen on them at one time. He uh, boasts to me that he won a trial stake. Uh, he only won one. I've been beaten in the final of four of them. I don't know if that justifies winning one or not, but I haven't achieved it yet. I was beaten on Sunday week in the final of one as well. But uh, look, we are what we are. We do our best, you know. But it's 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 a lovely sport, and the dogs love it. I mean, you go out there in the morning, and the three dogs are wagging their tail at you, and delighted to see you, and don't have good clothes on because they're going to be ruined, you know. It's that's for sure I know what you're talking about because you know my, you knew my father well Brendan and his involvement with um, the dogs all his life it's been a tough time Eamon recently for the Greyhound business and we hear news now of four more tracks to close there you know the consolidating right round the country as well there's been a lot of negativity with the RTE thing what do you say to people you know who, who've been you know perhaps have been their view has been clouded by all this well, first of all, generally, when I any any question about lo- people talking about greyhounds to me, I first of all ask them whether they're talking about coursing or whether they're talking about tracking. Um, no matter which they're talking about, I want to know have they been, and if they haven't been, I don't really want to discuss it. Um, when you put six dogs into six traps in Shelburne Park, in Dundalk, wherever, and release them after a dummy drag. And they run to the bend and they bump against each other and they run round after it and one dog is faster than the other and he wins the race. I cannot see any cruelty in that. I cannot see at all. Um, to follow up on that, the closing of the tracks, I think, Jerry, there's a big thing happening here that's not been spoken about, is that gambling has changed. When I was a young fellow and Navin track was on, there were 24 bookies in the place. Nobody had any money, but the, the 24 bookies were busy. Now, if you go to the pictures, they've got an iPhone in their pocket and they can back something in the, 
8.30 at Kempton. So what you're saying is, by its nature, people are not going to race meetings anymore. They don't have to. They don't have to. They can have a bet with the phone in their pocket and, and it's impacting. Yeah, yeah. Back from the hairs mm-hmm. to the hair. And, you know, you, we were talking a while ago about, you know, learning and changing with the times and adapting new methods and styles, etc., what do you make of, of the business in, in a town like Drogheda, a large town today? There's a lot of competition between salons. There, there are, there are, but there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful hairdressers now in town. A lot of uh, good training went on in Drogheda. You know, they they, they were schooled. Um, I, I kind of feel that one of the problems, if you, if you were going to discuss uh, hairdressing as as it is at the moment, um, you're not getting the people coming into it. Because salons are finding it expensive. They're expensive. Like, for instance, we just say, take a minimum wage just for the sum of 10 euros. And you go in to get your hair shampooed and blow dried. And a young girl comes along and she's giving you some service. She's giving you a smile. She's giving you a massage. Um, She's worth more than 10 euros an hour. The trouble is that if you've got three or four of them serving, we'd say 10, 10 stylists. Your four shampoos is costing you sixteen hundred euros a week, and it's not regarded as by the public as costing anything. Then the person doing the hairstyling has to be paid whatever the agreed amount is there, and they're possibly on commission. And at the minute, I think the VAT is thirteen point five. There are so many people now, like qualified. And they go and take the exchange money that they're not working and they work from at home. And it's very understandable. I wouldn't be one for kind of saying this is the right thing. I can well understand. I'm retired. And I, you know, I could, I have a little garage at home there and I could be doing four or five haircuts at 50 quid a go during the week there. I'd be putting two and a half into my pocket. Do you know, and there are a whole lot of Eamon Cairnses there that can be doing it. So that is a problem for the salons and uh, and yeah surviving. Yeah, I had seventeen in a small shop in in Arundel Street. There are, I think, it's eight uh, total in Stockwell Street in the minute. Ground floor premises, prime prime area. You 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 stepped out finally yourself back in uh, two thousand and five. That's right. From the day to day, of course, yes. you still had your hand in the tiller. I know you went to Diffie and mm-hmm. you helped with the setting up of the wonderful course they have down mm-hmm. there, which is right. so popular today. Did you miss it? Was it was it a difficult oh, adjustment? Miss it. I loved it, Jerry. I I never worked a day in my life. I never worked a day in my life. I mean, I I just you just remind me of a story there straight away. I was cutting this lady's hair one day. I've told them this up in Diffie a couple of times. I was cutting this lady's hair one day, and you talk about meditation and being in the moment. I was cutting this head, and I was working away, and I was completely entranced in what I was doing. And the lady said to me, "Eamon, you really love what you're doing." Don't you? And she kind of disturbed me, you know. And, and I said, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she said, y- you really do. And I said to her, and I meant it. And it just came out of my tongue. I said, there is no place else in the world that I would rather be this minute than cutting your hair. And she said, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> said, but I meant it. And, and, and that's how much I loved it. And, and you I felt really that did. every time a customer came to you and yes. you were at Yes. Your job, that's yes. the way you felt. Yes, and I felt consultation was very important. 
uh, you put a client down, and I mean, talk about hairdress. They don't look at people's faces anymore. I mean, we used to take everything back from the face, from right back onto the head, and have a look at what was down there. <coughs> Excuse me. And has she got an oval face? Has she got a round face? What way do we want to frame this face? Where do we want to fill in the gaps? Where, what do we want to show off? And we decided what we wanted to do. And we discussed it with her. And we asked her, was her husband tall or small? Was she going to be a little butt beside him if we, if we left her with long hair, which would drag her down further? Or were we going to cut her hair short to make her look taller? Were we going to give her height on top? Were we going to flatten it? Were we going to show off these ears or were we going to cover them? Do you know what I mean? And now, look at the television tonight and these ridiculous, badly judged hairstyles of a, a split down the middle. And just in case the nose is not big enough, you get it exaggerated by having it right back to the top of the head. I never realised there was such science no, involved. Uh, but I can see it as you describe it there. Is it difficult or over the years with women who, you know, ha- have a style and have it for years and they come into you and you suggest to them, do you know something? You should try something different. Is that a difficult moment for uh, someone in your profession? It depends on the relationship you have with them, first of all. But um, the, the, uh, any time we ever discuss that tactic in, 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 in the salon, uh, not at this and the client listening, uh, I would always say, look, if you feel she needs to change, sow a seed. Have you ever considered putting a few highlights in your hair? Have you ever considered this? And we also, this is, this is a strange one, we also, if we felt a client was getting tired under us, that they were kind of said, I don't think Game was passing as much remarks as he was. And we would feel that, and we would we, we'd know she was going like this, and we would say, you know, Mrs. Brown, Jacinta or Lisa, they're after me on a course, and if you'd like to try them for one haircut, just to see what they've learned, and then you'd be okay, you know, and you can come back to me, To that's okay, it's all the same salon, we're all in the same stuff. And some of them would say, oh, that's a good idea, I'll try that, I'll try that for my next haircut. Yes, you can work things around like that, yeah. You must be so pleased that your daughter is running the show and having such success. Um, dear, you get me sentimental now, I'm so proud of that daughter, that, yes, Yes, even without an award. <laughs> she does, she gets my award every day. <laughs> anyway, we'll leave it there today, and Thank you for joining me on the show. It was a pleasure chatting to you about your life and times in the wonderful business. You are a maestro and many years of happiness and health to you in your life. Thanks for joining Thank you very much, Jerry. Pleasure. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Pre-book your new car for the new year and we'll hold all prices. Yes, it really is a very special late lunch this afternoon because we're at the Valley Inn in Malera, just outside Drogheda, for the 2019 Unsung Hero Awards afternoon. There's a special dinner coming up in a short while, and we're here to recap on what's been a wonderful year. The awards, of course, sponsored by Home Instead Senior Care, and we're so grateful to Dermot Bulger for his wonderful sponsorship, and we'll be talking to Dermot a little bit later on. But all of the monthly winners are with us here in the Valley Inn, and they're looking a million dollars in their 
shiny silver and their lovely dresses and everything else besides. And we're going to catch a word with them. Our January winners, just to remind you, were the North Loud Hospice Volunteer Drivers. And joining me today is the lady who nominated them. Denise Comiskey is here with us. I'll have a word with her in a moment. And Anne McMahon and Geraldine Hera here from the uh, North Loud Hospice Volunteer Drivers. Uh, Geraldine Hera is here beside me. You have a very particular role, I believe. Uh, yes, I'm one of the driver coordinators. What I do is, with uh, three other ladies, we organise all the lifts for our patients to and from hospitals every day of the week. Most of our hospitals are based in Dublin. So we have a wonderful network of uh, volunteer drivers um, that we depend on heavily. And uh, we find it, well, we find it as satisfying, I think, as the patients that we drive, to be honest. It's a very rewarding uh, thing to do. But as usual, we're always looking for extra drivers and more volunteer drivers. So if, if, you, get, if you feel that you, you would be interested, we'd be delighted if you get in touch. And how do people get in touch? What's the easiest way? They can ring us or, the, or even better still to drop into our office on the, on the ramparts. Okay, in Dundalk. In Dundalk. I, I know over the years how important it is for people who find themselves on a cancer journey or with a diagnosis, uh, Anne McMahon. It, it's such an important service to people at a vulnerable time in their lives. It is, Gerry. Um, North Loud Hospice, we're very lucky. We've over, uh, 150 volunteer dri- volunteers overall. We've roughly 100 um, drivers and maybe a team of 50 between our va- charity shop and the office and it's great to be able to assist people on their cancer journey we can a lot of our assistance is on a request of the public health nurse so we can um, provide vouchers um, say for petrol diesel or supermarket um, if someone going through their chemotherapy and they're very vulnerable and feel the cold we can help with home heating and we're all on request of the public health nurse then we have equipment that um special beds and mattresses that can be delivered and set up in the patient's own home um but as we just mentioned among ourselves um there's a great success um with the current treatments for cancers you know and people are surviving longer and i've been there done that and uh have the t-shirt myself you can tell the story but it it is at a vulnerable time so essential and it's more than just the driving it's all else that you provide there as well what does the award nomination mean to you um well it it, um highlights um the good work that our volunteer drivers do um and the service they provide to the community and we like to stress that all our drivers are volunteers we're not a taxi service you know but uh yeah, no, that's um, it's highlighting the the need for you know um, the assistance. Absolutely, and the woman who nominated you is sitting beside you, Denise Komiski. Why did you nominate them? I just thought that they were a lifeline to us at a time that we were very vulnerable and needed help. It took Geraldine was actually one of my mom's drivers. Um, everybody hears about the cancer society and the hospice but people forget about behind the scenes work that goes on like this like the volunteer drivers who were a lifeline to us when we really needed them it took the worry out of transport for hospital appointments for chemo treatments out of you know our hands and just they handled everything with dignity and respect and they were just a godsend 
Fantastic, lovely words. Let's have a round of applause for the North Loud Hospice Drivers. Wonderful, wonderful people. I'm going to stif- skip to uh, March before I go back to February. You know me, just a little bit out of sync. And she's here on her own. Oh, let's hear an offer. Anne Carolyn, community activist. All alone today. You're not alone. You're among friends. You know that. I do, Jerry. Thanks very much. Anyway, what's it been like since you've been nominated and uh, you were in with me and telling your own story? Yeah, it's just been a busy year and um, it's great to see the Boyne, uh, the walkway now up and running and being so well used. And um, I think everybody's heard that it's now part of the Irish Camino, which is a huge honour. And um, I know Dusty Flanagan's doing a huge amount of work um, pushing that forward. So fair play to him. So, yeah, it's been a busy year and um, things are ongoing. And Tully Allen had a very successful year for the Glenhamets with a huge fundraiser there with the Oscars um, Powerhouse by Karina Chute and um, we're, um, tomorrow is another big day in Tully Allen, we're doing the Christmas tree in the square um, at half past six, that's another big evening for Tully Allen so, and hopefully um, we're trying to implement some road safety um, measures at the school now as well so yeah, it's just been busy this woman just thinks community all of the time. You just hear there. I, I presume he's got the tree from Townley Hall. I really couldn't say, Jerry. <laughs> There's no shortage of them out there. Well, sure, guard wouldn't ask me that. <laughs> I understand. I'll let you off the hook with that one. Anyway, you are deeply involved in the community in so many things. But uh, the real success has been this walk and the link with the Camino. Absolutely, and it's absolutely terrific to see now that it's been so utilised um, by the school children, and um, they use it for their sponsored walk there in October. Um, and every weekend you see families walking together, which is just terrific to see. And now they can walk safely. Um, but as I say, it's all about safety on the road. So we're going to keep moving forward and hopefully make the link even safer as we go along. Fabulous. You're a great woman. And Carolyn, ladies and gentlemen, our unsung hero for the month of March, community activist in the Tully Allen area. Back to February. Lovely month. February, Valentine's Day. The unsung hero was Peter Monaghan, Warriors on Wheels, nominated by Nicola McDonnell. The man himself is here today. Nicola can't be with us. We say hello to her. Uh, but in her place is Martin Murphy, and we'll catch a word with Martin in a moment. Well, sir, how are you? Great, great. The award, are you looking forward to the dinner and the presentation? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about you and uh, what Warriors on Wheels is about. Warriors on Wheels, it started, I work with the Irish Wheelchair and uh, we, we generated the exercise from the Irish Wheelchair and um, it's a weightlifting exercise for people with a disability and uh, other disabilities, you know, apart from wheelchair spinal bifida and all that and we do all that kind of exercise with them and help them keep the muscles and exercise you know the upper body you know and um, I particularly well I've been doing it since it started originally you know and I'm still there. Yeah good man yourself there from the beginning and still supporting it all the way what about the man sitting beside you Martin Murphy you're welcome you are a wheelchair user I am yeah what about this initiative? What does it mean to you? It's fantastic. So it is. we have a, a social out in every couple of weeks with it as well. So we do like uh, it started in 2014. It, it runs from about half six to uh, from about six to eight o'clock on a Wednesday evening down there on the IWA in Drada. So it does. And uh, 
the first hour we just kind of a chat and a catch up what we've done through the week and stuff like that and Peter's there helping set up for weights later on and stuff like that so it's great and it means a lot to people like people with similar circumstances to uh, have a chat together and like it keeps us going so yeah. So yeah. Social aspect to it and the exercise, as Peter said as well, coming together. Definitely, yeah, it's great. So it is, um, yeah, like like I said, we we did did walk out for about an hour or so uh, every week, and uh, every maybe two or three months we have a, a meal out together or something like that as a kind of a salad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, sure. Actually, you have to have the old nights out as well. The Irish Wheelchair Association, though, wonderful body. I think of Oliver Murphy today, a local man going back many, many years to the start of it. Yeah, yeah, great man. So he is still going strong. And uh, they actually had their due there, was it last week, I think, above in the Glen, the, the, the Glenside. And um, he still does an awful lot. He does yeah, an awful does lot. An awful lot. Yeah, yeah, he does. Fantastic, fantastic. Aren't they great people? Come on, let's hear it for warriors, the warriors themselves, warriors on wheels, who were our unsung heroes for the month of February. Fabulous, fabulous people, I have to say. And I do want to uh, mention somebody else who's far away from the Valley Inn today. They're actually in the United States and they're listening in to us as I speak. Tom and Bernadette McCartney are in the States and all the staff here at the Valley Inn and John and Jackie O'Connell, of course, the proprietors, want to send them best wishes tuned in to us this afternoon. Hello across the Atlantic. Anyway, don't go anywhere because we're at the Valley Inn just outside Drogheda. And we want to say a big thank you to the Valley Inn, to the O'Connells and all the staff for hosting us here today. Yes, the Valley Inn is hopping this afternoon with unsung heroes. They're here from all over the Northeast, Louth and Meath, and we're having a catch-up with them this afternoon. We're all getting ready for a lovely afternoon lunch and a presentation a little bit later on. But late lunch with you from the Valley Inn today to acknowledge again these wonderful people who've been nominated as Unsung Heroes for 2019. April, the month of April, the Unsung Hero was Ushin Dunn. He was nominated by Philip Devonish. Philip, good to see you again. Remind us why this fella is an Unsung Hero. Look at him. He's looking all embarrassed. Don't mind him. I don't mind him. He's always embarrassed. Uh, he's one of these people that just seems to be involved in absolutely everything. Um, I met him through Scouts. Uh, he set up the group in Laytown and Bettystown about 10 years ago and has kept it running as the group leader all that time. And then whenever anything else is happening in the community, you see he's involved with it. He's up, uh, set up the uh, computer for the church, for the um, Holy Communion. He takes his colleagues out for walks on the Dublin Mountains and he took us up on the Dublin Mountains on Sunday and we got snowed on and rained on and blown <laughs> off the place. Um, he's in he's next I understand on Saturday he's gonna be dressed up as Santa for his residence association, delivering uh, uh gifts for the other children in his uh estate, Oskelga, I believe. So he's involved in absolutely everything. Always something going on and he always says yes to everything, probably much to his wife's discontent, but he's uh, absolutely involved in everything and always a big smile on his face and a can-do attitude. Wonderful, wonderful words. You're sitting there listening to all these um, wonderful eulogies being uh, relayed to us. Uh, so you're an agent for the man in the North Pole as well, because, you know, he has to have agents everywhere. He couldn't possibly be in every town, village or country. You know that? Well, that's it, exactly. You know, it's been a busy a busy year for him this year, so it's uh, four more kids coming in. You're giving him a dig out. Uh, I think they just about forgive you for that mountain trek on Sunday. 
Just about. I mean, uh, there was a lot of parents worried about the you know, yellow uh, weather warning before we went out. Had to assure them that we were nowhere near trees. The top of the mountain was much clearer. You know? <laughs> uh, the snow and the hail now was a bit uh, unexpected. And the fact that the rain gear didn't work, I ended up walking around in puddles and boots for most of the day. Well, there you go, isn't it? The great outdoors. It's Ireland at this time of the year. Look at all these things you're involved in. And, and you do have children of your own. How many? I've got four children myself. My two eldest are in college in Limerick and in Tralee. Uh, they've started down there. My son is in TY in Gormanson College. And my youngest is in the local uh, primary school, SSM. And yet you have this time and you work as well and you run a home with your good wife. And uh, where do you find the time? Time is fun. Um, double up. That's, that's my rule on the whole thing. You know, why, why bother with one meeting when you go to three at the same time? Um, we generally, when it comes to, especially with the likes of scouts, um, a lot of the meetings that you have to do, combine them with a hike. You know, you're out in the mountains anyway. You might as well just talk to people while you're doing and sort of meeting at the same time. The things like the Vincent, helping out with the Vincent Paul, helping out with the school, their own evenings. You know, what else would you be doing? Uh, I work in technology, so a lot of the meetings can be, you know, Skype meetings or meetings offline where you don't actually have to be physically present. Frees up more time to actually do that. You know, so it's, yeah. He makes it sound so simple, doesn't he? He really does. You make light of it. Yeah, I've actually had meetings in the car while driving to another meeting. <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah, it can be fun. There's no penalty points for that. No, no, no hands free. No. <laughs> Good man yourself. Anyway, well done to you. You are a thoroughly deserving unsung hero. Usheen uh, Dunn, nominated by Philip Devonish. Fantastic. Big round of applause. Let's hear it for Usheen. Wonderful guy. Moving on through the year to the month of May, and the unsung hero is Jonathan Fitzpatrick. He's here with me, and he was nominated by Marion Walsh. Hello, Marion. Hi, how are you? Remind us again why this man is your pick. He's my pick because he saved my life in January, the 24th of January. I took a stroke in where he works in, in Starbucks, and I didn't know what was wrong. He recognized what was happening to me, and he saved my life. You know, he got me to the, the ambulance and got me to the hospital in time, you know, so... He's just a wonderful person. And I, I really felt he needs to be honoured for what he'd done for me, you know. Absolutely. And it was it was a very, very serious situation. And I remember you telling me, you realised it quite quickly, but to communicate what was opportunity was the difficulty. Yes, yes. Well, I didn't know what was wrong, you know. I really didn't. I actually thought I had the vomiting bug out because I was, had been in the hospital, and uh, in Drogheda Hospital, and I thought I was after getting the vomiting bug from that, you know. I did not, honest to God, realise it was a stroke. You know, but Jonathan recognised it. So you know that uh, acronym, F-A-S-T, this man moved fast moved on fast. your behalf. He certainly did, yeah. And I'm here today, and I'm alive, and it's great. <laughs> it's great. And you're looking a million dollars. Thank you. Life it's is good. Wonderful, yeah. Yeah. wonderful yeah. story. Let me talk to the man himself. Again, good to see you. And uh, it's such, I'm sure, an honour and a privilege for somebody to say to you, you saved their life. Uh, yeah, it actually is. It's... it's actually breathtaking to see the woman that like i seen back like back in january and the woman that's sitting before me as you said looks like a million bucks like she's absolutely stunning with joe sitting beside her looks like king queen of drawhada right here so they do um i don't know it's just i feel like i didn't really do anything i put my praises up towards the doctors and the ambulance crew who came i mean so fast i mean literally called them and got off the phone the next thing within 30 seconds or outside the door so you could Everyone congratulates me, but I always say the doctors and the paramedics and everything like that, they were the 
They were the good ones. I know, but you were the vital link at that moment in time. Don't be playing it down. That made all the difference. We hear Marion there say that to you. You know, you've been acknowledged here on radio and will be again today, where in the past, in the newspapers, etc. What's it, be, what's it like to be a, an unsung hero? Um, it's amazing. Like, um, it, like I, it's kind of like I don't like the attention on me, but it's like people come up to me and they're like, I've been shouted at on the streets. And they're like, oh my God, we saw you in the paper. Like, you're, you're, you're literally the definition of a hero. And I was just like... Uh, I don't see it, but thank you. I do appreciate the looks on it, but yeah, no, it's it's been pretty, pretty unreal. It's been kind of like you know taking me out of my comfort zone and maybe brought me into a, an area where, like you know, maybe I can see myself like that. Fantastic! And are you still with Starbucks? Uh, I still work there, yeah. So I am um, still in the same position, still loving the job. So I am. So I wouldn't change it for the world. So if you want a nice coffee, where is it? Uh, it's in the Lawrence Centre in Drada. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and ask for him. He's an unsung hero. He'll be in there. Ask for Jonathan. He'll look after you. You might even get a discount. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting him on the spot now for sure. Come on, let's hear it for our May unsung hero, lifesaver, Jonathan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> now to our youngest unsung hero. Yes, she is our youngest. I say the ages go from... What age are you? Tell me. Twelve. Twelve years of age, little Lauren Brennan is. Uh, are you off school this afternoon? Yeah. Are you missing it? No. <laughs> Where do you go? Uh, I go to St. Vincent's in Dundalk. All right, and no bother getting the time off? No. When are you on holidays? Uh, next Friday. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Now tell us, your dad is sitting here beside you, and uh, you played a big part in a real health emergency with him. Yeah. What happened? Um, so we were in the park and we went with my mom, my friend, my brother, my dad and my dog. And my dad was doing a treasure hunt. It was in 2015. And he stopped talking and I didn't know what was happening. And all the left side of his body just like stopped working and he couldn't move it. So I told my mom and she went over and helped him. And I had to ring the ambulance. And they like told me what to do and I had to tell my mom what they were telling me. And they were, like, telling me to keep calm. And calm you did keep for the duration of that. That couldn't be easy when you were looking at your dad on the ground in the uh, state he was in. No. But you did? Yeah. And look at him here sitting beside you today looking a million dollars. Oh, come on, folks. Doesn't that deserve a big, big round of applause? You are a hero. Thank you. You know that? And you're shy as well. I know, I know she's shy. Hey, Dad, what about this young woman? Yeah, she's amazing. Um, I suppose, um, just to put into context, Lauren was nine years of age at the time. Um, and I had a heart condition, grew up with a heart condition, was born with a cherry um, cardiomyopathy. And over the last four years, up until last September, um, struggled with it on and off. And I was in and out of hospital um, on numerous occasions. And... Uh, Lauren and her brother Sean and, and my wife Claire have seen me being taken out of um, the house on an ambulance so many times. But on that day, Lauren, as you say, she was so calm. Um, she relayed all the messages to Claire, my wife, in relation to, um, you know, can he lift his arms over his over his head and this. And um, she actually directed the ambulance into the park at nine years of age. And all that quick thinking got the paramedics to me as quick as possible and got me to the hospital in time. Um, but thank God, everything worked out, and um, then in September of last year, and um, we all got the the, the major the major uh, 
gift, which was um, I got the gift of life. I made a heart transplant last September. And um, I have to say, I'm only 15 months in and I'm feeling magnificent. And a lot of it's down to Lauren and Sean, my wife, and all my extended family. But uh, it's, it's Lauren's day today because in that day in 2015, um, she stayed calm and I got to the hospital in, in time, Jerry. What a wonderful, wonderful story that is. Oh, my God. Sorry for the pun. It's heartwarming. It's absolutely heartwarming. You have a little note there. Did you want to say something to me? I also like donate a lot and I wrote down a few of the things that I donate Um The Little Princesses, it's like I cut my hair for cancer. Dundalk Simon Community, Save Our Homeless Dundalk, Temple Street Children's Hospital, Crumlin Hospital, The Matter Foundation, Irish Heart Foundation and the Irish Hospice. Wow, what a young woman you are. And I just tell listeners, your dad and yourself have your hands gripped tightly there together, and so they should be. You're simply wonderful, inspiring. Isn't she great? Our unsung hero, the youngest of them all for June. Let's hear it for Lauren Brennan, 12 years of age. Congratulations. Thanks, John. Wow, what stories we're bringing you here this afternoon on Late Lunch. Yes, it's the culmination of 2019's Unsung Hero, sponsored by Home Instead Senior Care. The Valley Inn is crawling with Unsung Heroes today, and all of their family and friends as well, because you see, we're here for the award ceremony, and there's a lovely big lunch about to happen shortly, and the presentation of the awards. And we're just reminding you of the wonderful people in the North East. And I want to say again, thank you to everybody who nominated somebody, because we had loads of nominations, and it was difficult to pick the winners for each month. We're back in the summertime, July, and the Unsung Hero for July was Tracy Rogers. She was nominated by Mary Hoy and they're both with me this afternoon. Mary, you're sitting right beside this woman now, so you can start to blow smoke straight away. <laughs> Hi, Jerry. How's things? Why did you nominate her? Uh, Jerry nominated Tracy because uh, she, over the last 10 years, has raised an incredible amount of money for the Irish Cancer Society. Um, Tracy was diagnosed with thyroid cancer uh, when we were 14 and has battled through that and used that um, strength on strength each year to raise incredible funds for the Irish Cancer Society. And I just felt when I heard the advertisement of LMFM that she deserved full recognition for all the money and all the help and support. And I'm sure there's thousands of people that she's helped out there, but nobody has actually turned around to her and really said thanks. Like, and it, it, she's just been incredible in our community and, um, She's she's done so many different fundraising things for all of us. Uh, it's brought our community together. She's netted everyone together, both young and old. And sure, everybody knows Tracy in Dundalk and the surrounding areas. And she does so much, and she just deserves uh, to be July's unsung hero for sure. Lovely, lovely words. And you know, I remember we called you, and you said, "Me? Why me?" Yeah, and it was complete. A complete utter shock. I think people were ringing me and texting me saying congratulations and I actually didn't know what was happening. I had to ask and wait for the podcast to come up and then Mary gave us the shout with what happened and it was a complete surprise but it's, a, it's an honour and a huge, just thankful for Mary. You've raised a massive amount of money and you're relentless. You never <laughs> stop. You just keep going and going. Yeah, no, just keep going. It's I always just want to help others that's gone through, I suppose, what I've gone through and if it makes their life a little bit easier, um, it's all I want to do is just to help them. I suppose just while I'm here, I have a little fundraiser coming up <laughs> uh, on St. Stephen's this morning. 
Uh, we have a 5k and it's in aid of the Northlight Hospice. So it's in Niamh Maliki at 11am and everyone's welcome. So just to get that out. <laughs> this is your time. Use every minute wisely. You do indeed. But as someone who's experienced the journey yourself, yeah. um, you know, you can talk the talk and walk the walk. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's not easy when you're going through it, but it's when you're the other side and you look back and everyone that supports you and the community and the wider community, like Mary here is stood by me all the time from the very beginning and it is from that day I was diagnosed to now everyone has supported me and I just can't thank everyone enough for every, all the support they have given me from day one so let's hear it isn't she brilliant let's have a big round of applause for a wonderful wonderful young woman yes our July unsung hero Tracy Rogers congratulations to you now I'll move over here just beside you ladies to have a chat with this man here I'll put me backside on the corner of the chair because you see I nominated this fella on the show one afternoon because his story is remarkable. Yes, he is our unsung hero for August. His name is Mark Lynch. Mark, welcome to Late Lunch again. Just remind us why I picked you. Uh, thanks very much, anyway, Jerry, for the invite. Uh, I was over in holidays with my family in uh, April, and a little girl drowned in the pool. And uh, uh, we had to pull her out of the pool and uh, resuscitate her. Where were you on the holidays? In Lanzarote. And... It was in the pool, in the complex you were staying in? In the complex we were staying in, yeah. And describe the scene again, because I remember you telling me about it. You came out and there was a body at the bottom of the pool. Yeah, I was sitting with the two kids at the side of the pool and I overheard uh, a little girl saying to her aunt that Catherine never came back up from the bottom of the pool. So I kind of ran my kids one way and I was running towards Catherine and uh, I seen this body at the bottom of the pool. So someone lifted her up. I think it was her aunt that jumped into the pool. And I pulled her out of the pool and uh, had to resuscitate her, yeah. Your business is resuscitation? Yeah. Yeah, my business is resuscitation. <laughs> uh, I was there for at least probably uh, four to five minutes resuscitating Catherine. And, and you got her back? Got her back, thanks be to God. Uh, so... <laughs> yeah, it was all good. All good, she's doing well. Uh, I was on to the family there a few weeks ago, yeah, and she's she's doing very well. She's from Liverpool? She's from Liverpool. And what's her full name, Catherine? Catherine Smiley. We say hello to Catherine this afternoon because I know they heard the original, they did, they were on to us for the podcast and they wanted to hear the original feature and I know that family in Liverpool owe you so, so much. Now, subsequent to that, you came in and you were teaching me CPR in the studio. Yeah, I can see the muscles got very big there, Jerry. Uh, I'm still not the better of it, honest to God. I was, I was never as out of breath in my life. I'm so unfit. Yeah, I know it's brilliant. It's like that's what it's all about. Like you know what the interview we done there with uh, a while back went viral. It went all over newspapers and Facebook. But as I say, just it's up to the public now to take a little bit of responsibility, go out and do CPR, and you can help someone else. That's a lovely message from our unsung hero for August, Mark Lynch, ladies and gentlemen. What a story. Let me move over this direction here to a wonderful lady who's waiting on me. I think she's the best-known woman in Dulekin County Mead. Now, we had a 12-year-old a little while ago as our unsung hero, and our unsung hero for the month of September is Cathy McGrain. Tell them what age you are. 90. 90 years young, huh? The lady who nominated you is with you as well. Hello to uh, Mary Hewitt. Hello, Mary. Hi, Jerry. How's it going? Come on, give us a resume about this wonderful woman. Why is she here? Why is she being nominated? Well, the reason I nominated her was, on a personal note, 
when my mother was sick 24 years ago, for the five years previous to that, Cathy was just a lifeline to her. We'd done the daily things we could for her, but Cathy was the one to come in and talk to her, give her the information, talk about things we probably didn't want her to tell me, ma'am, but she done it and she she just lifted her spirits every day and she does that for, she done it for my ma'am, she done it for so many other people. And then that's only the tip of the iceberg. She does so much more around the leak. I don't even know where to start. She has a clothes bank. That's the way I could call it. She People bring clothes to her. She sorts them out. They go, the really good stuff goes to the cancer shop. What's not fit for that goes to the ragman. The money from that goes to the alarms. Isn't that right? And uh, that helps other people. And she just, as I say, does so much around the community for... I'm saying the old people, but they're probably 20 years younger than she is. But that's that's Cathy for you. And oh, she's absolutely brilliant. And those lovely words, where do you get the energy from? I don't know. I won my first bowls trophy last week. At, at 90 years of age. Oh, you, were, you took your time, didn't you? <laughs> well, it's with the act of retirement. I'm Wonderful. with them this few years yes. now, you know, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. You love that. You're loving it. Come lately, but you're you're successful at it as well. Look at we know what you do. That's only a touch, you know, really, of yeah. all the people you come in contact with every day. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> but you do. You get up and you go out and you're in the community and we mentioned the clothes as one thing, but yeah. what is it? Have you always loved people yeah. and engaging with people and helping people? Well, since I came to the league in nineteen sixty two, I was in all the different associations in one way or another. Yes. So you've been involved in so much there, and that helped you get involved in the community. You'd have to be considered a, a Dalit native, wouldn't you, at this stage? 62! <laughs> <laughs> They're hardly still calling you a runner. No, no, not. They couldn't be. No, Where did you come from originally? Up the road in Nardcath. Oh, shit, jeez, you're only a stone's throw away from Dalit, to Definitely. be honest. Yeah. So you're a Nardcath woman. Yeah. Um, I said to you, at 90 years of age, you're winning bowls tournaments, you're running around the league every day, you're helping lots of people. What's the secret to good health and long life? Tell me. Well, just have plenty of things to do. Something to get up in the morning, something to have to do. You know. Some... Have a purpose. Yeah, that's the... You've always had that. I've always had that, yeah. You lost your husband quite a few years ago. Yes, I did, yeah. And, and yet, you just picked Very up... I know, I know you were sad at the time and he was a huge loss, but... Up you got and away you went. Yeah. It's the only way, is it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> ah, absolutely. Look, isn't she a wonderful lady? Ladies and gentlemen, 90 years young. Don't play her in bowls. That's the message today. Don't take her on. She'll beat you rotten, honestly. Anyway, nominated by Mary Hewitt in September. She's a wonderful unsung hero, Cathy McGrain. You're at Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. We're at the Valley Inn in Malera. Thank you again to the O'Connells and all the staff here for hosting us today. It is the culmination of Unsung Hero 2019. Unsung hero afternoon on late lunch. Yes, we're at the Valley Inn and we're getting ready for the big dinner and the presentation of the awards. But ahead of that, we're meeting and reminding you of our unsung heroes for 2019. We're in October now and the unsung hero was Anya Murphy. And may I say, you have your colour coordination absolutely perfect today. Christmas ready, yeah. <laughs> ah, yes, absolutely. Looking real smart. Congratulations Thank to you again. You really came to notice with your nomination for a national award. Tell us about that. Yeah, but um, I got nominated for Carer of the Year, the Nursing Home Ireland Carer of the Year, and that was last month. 
So it was, yeah. And you were in telling me the story, and then, of course, there was a groundswell to say, come on, you have an unsung yeah. hero sitting in the yeah. studio with you. <laughs> and you were named the uh, LMFM, Home Instead Senior Care, unsung hero for the month. Again, you're working in this business how long? Six years. And going to work every day, you love it? Oh, I absolutely adore my job. I love it so much. It's class. Why? I don't know. I just, it just always brought me joy. Like, I just love it so much. I just get on with older people. So it's just great. I love doing it. Again, you're a young one and you're out and about and you're socialising at the weekend and all that type of stuff. Are they always curious to see how you're getting on and oh. what the news is out there? Oh, they love the crack. Who do they? Love, oh, they love all the banter from Saturday nights and all. Yeah, they really do. They enjoy it. Big time. And you really have to spill the beans, do you, to oh, them? Oh, yeah. Well, they get all the juicy details of the night, how many shots you did, everything. They get it all. <laughs> oh, God almighty. You're making life tougher for everybody down in Moor Hall. Do you know that? Oh, uh, they have to step up. <laughs> you know when you work closely with people and they love you and you, I know, you love them as well. That bond, that relationship, it's, it must be special. Oh, it is. It is. It's like having a family away from your own family. Like, you get just so close and to people. You get to really know them and their ins and outs, and they get to know you, so it's, it's amazing. And it's a big change in life for somebody as well. You're talking to somebody, you know, whose circumstances have changed. And, it's, and I suppose it's their last journey as well, so you get to experience that with them and make it as nice and pleasant as you possibly can, like, so it's lovely. Do you feel genuinely upset when you lose somebody? Oh, yeah, it's like losing one of your own. It is, it's heartbreaking. And then you don't get to see their family who you've seen every day as well. So it's, you lose a lot when you lose somebody. There's a bond broken. Yeah, there is. And everyone's unique, everyone's different, so no one fills their boots. Mm. Who's here with you today? I've got Jones here with me and Sheila and Neve. All right, so you have plenty of support here with you today. Great stuff. You are a wonderful young woman. Congratulations to you again. Let's hear it for our October unsung hero, Anya Murphy. From Moorhall Living. Thank you so much indeed. Now, I talked... Sorry, I had my back to you there in a minute. In the month of November, we got a nomination, a very different type of nomination, and it came in from Margaret Hughes from Kilcurry, just outside Dundalk, and she nominated Anne Wilkinson. And they're both here with me. So, Margaret, tell me again, why this woman sitting beside you here, again, looking ravishing in red today? That's right. Well, Anne is an amazing woman. She does so much and she never nobody knows what she's doing she's so confidential she's going with her project period love to you and me and everybody that needs it and never she no matter what time of the day or night you could go tan she'd never say leave it with me is our famous words and she'd be back within an hour or two and that means so much when you know, you have no other, you're told bad news and you're just holding on to your fate, really. So, Padre Pio is the man. How come the saint has entered your life so significantly? Oh, well, f- over 40 years ago, I had a child that was miraculously cured through the intercession of Padre Pio. And uh, her actually her illness went forward to Rome for the beatification wasn't chosen but was one of the ones that went forward so it was classed as a a miraculous uh, recovery she only had three chambers in her heart and uh, within 24 hours being blessed with a glove uh, the fourth chamber appeared so that's I've been doing that so I mean I just feel it's a privilege to be able to do it and to go around to people who are in 
distress, really, and at times when they need just a kind word or someone just to sit there and help or listen to them, you know. So I don't feel that I'm any sort of a hero. So I just, I like this girl, I enjoy what I do. But I have to say, I mean, it's my friends and family. I couldn't do the job without them as well, you know. But it's, um, it's a privilege. And you organise these trips, legendary trips to San Giovanni. Oh, yes. Uh, we've been, I've been going to San Giovanni for maybe 39, 37, 39 years and uh, taking groups with me every year. In the early days, we used to bring raise funds to bring the cystic fibrosis children with us and they had a great time and uh, over the years. But as I've got older <laughs> and slower myself, we just uh, I bring the groups and the people f come with me, you know, and you meet some wonderful, wonderful people on these trips, you know. But it's, it's a, a holiday as well as a pill. I mean, we're not all praying. <laughs> I, I sort of expect that, but you can keep that to yourself today. We'll talk about that off, Mike, if you don't mind. I don't want to ruin the aura of Padre Pio in the Valley Inn this afternoon. Anyway, let's hear it for Anne Wilkinson, our unsung hero for November. Now, 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 there are some people here you know very well. David Carey is here from Team Carey, and he's showing your medal. You have a Padre Pio medal? Padre Pio, and my mother has been away in many times with Anne Wilkinson on the San Giovanni trips. Your good wife is here with you, Aileen, as well. Look at this star from Team Carry. You do know we followed Team Carry on late lunch for all of the 10 years and it concluded this year. How much have you raised for charity? Uh, over 400,000. Wow. Come on. <laughs> Team Carry. How many people have you taken to the marathon? Uh, 1,058. I've started and finished the marathon with Team Carry and uh, it's just been a brilliant 10 years. But Jerry, what about today? I'm surrounded here listening to these stories from wonderful, wonderful unsung heroes from all, all around the Northeast region. And these people, it's just wonderful that these people have made a difference or have made a difference to people's lives. And that's what we need. They're contributing to society in a very, very positive way. And this is what society needs. And we need to hear more of this these wonderful people, these wonderful stories, these are the people that lives in your community. Keep people going, and this is what we need to hear more of. Hear, hear, may I say to those words. There's a very important man sitting beside you. Yeah, I'm here with Ray Torres, and he wants to say hello to his mum. Ray, he is the main man. Can I say he's the main man in Team Carry? He's our main coach. The main coach, Coach Ray. Who do you want to say hello to? I want to say hello to my mammy and my brothers and sisters. Good man, Ray. Ah, he is a, such a top... Top performer, he really is. Alien Carey, come here, you're not getting away without saying a word to me. Come up here close. Congratulations to yourself and David on ten wonderful years. Oh, thanks very much, Jerry. Yeah, it was ten great years and we thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm humbled by everybody here, but I'm glad that we're a little bit apart, giving a little bit of something back to everybody else as well and it's just great. Oh, you certainly were. Now, I invited David and Aileen here today to present the awards a little bit later on at the dinner. But you're not here for that at all, because actually, you are our unsung heroes, Aileen and David Carey, for the month of December. I've been set up again by you, Mr. Jerry Kelly. Well, thank you so much. Really, really, I'm in shock over that, and uh, thank you so much. I'm humbled by everyone here, so... Um, 
Thank you, and thank you for the nomination. I oh. actually can't believe it. You asked me to come up and present the awards, and actually, that's what I'm here. And such a job we had to keep this quiet. I was warning everybody, don't bloody tell them, don't let the cat out of the bag. We didn't let the cat out of the bag, but let me say this. There are no more deserving people than the Carries for what you've done for charity, for what you've done for all those people you've taken to the marathon. For a wonderful, a decade, a decade, year on year, and I've been with you all the way, and I've seen what you've done. You're the most brilliant people, let me say. And again, congratulations, Alien and David Carey, Unsung Heroes for December. Just before we finish, before we finish, and hand you back to uh, Studio for News and Sport at three, Dermot Bolger is with me. We couldn't have done this without Dermot Bolger and the people from Home Instead Senior Care. Give them a big, big round of applause, our main sponsors of the Unsung Hero. Dermot, you're here. You heard David Carey a moment ago. You've been here attentively listening to all the stories. You must be delighted as the sponsor of this. Jerry, it's just absolutely wonderful. It's just wonderful to hear so many wonderful stories about how much people are giving back across the northeast. And just even listening to Anya and th- they're talking about she's in the care business the same as us, and I couldn't put it any way better than she has. And, th- and she talks about the joy that caregivers and carers can bring to people, and that on she's all about it. The other thing is as well as I am absolutely delighted about uh, David Carey when we set up the Louth uh, office for Home Instead Senior Care. David is our postman, and he has been so good to us and so kind to us over the years. And for that alone he is absolutely an, un, an unsung hero to us and, and I know all the girls in Home Instead Senior Care and Tenure would be absolutely delighted that David is the unsung hero because we've always taught that and, and thank you all very very much <laughs> For Home Instead being sponsors of uh, the awards here you do a very important job as well you keep people in their own homes you care for them there you know I'm sure like your job brings great personal satisfaction to you and the people who work for you. Absolutely, Jerry. Absolutely. And I mean, Charlotte, Charlotte, uh, my wife runs the office in Meath, covering Meath and Cavan area. And we have, we look after from Tenure in Loud and then we have the office in um, Carrickmacross as well. And, but it's an absolute privilege, but it's not us. It's our caregivers. And, uh, and you heard that already from people who are out there and that on the ground and the joy that they bring to older people. It's an absolute privilege to be involved in it. The other thing I'd say as well is I think it's, it's very, very important that, that this was, this was a partnership that myself and Eileen Duggan dreamt up a long, long time back. And I think the, 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 the contribution that LMFM make to the community is absolutely fabulous as well and I think the whole lot of us can be so proud of what we do in our own community and that to make it a better place and, that, and I'm, really, I'm really privileged to be part of that across Louth and Mead so thank you all very very much Thank you Dermot Bolger uh, indeed and again thank you so much uh, for your support of the awards. Well you've heard from all of the nominees including a big surprise for December uh, David and Alien Carey. So we're going to leave uh, the uh, valley in here. And again, thank you so much to the O'Connell family and all of the staff here for uh, hosting this uh, awards event this afternoon. We're going to go now and enjoy a lovely dinner and then we're going to have the awards presentation. But again, congratulations to all of our unsung heroes, Home Instead Senior Care, LMFM Late Lunch for 2019. You are thoroughly deserving of the awards. And thank you all again for the wonderful contribution you all make to your community in different aspects of life. Back to studio for news and sport at three, and then we will have a, a very special guest. Stay with us on the show. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. New Year low APR finance is now available across the range.
My next guest on Late Lunch today is a consultant speech and language therapist who works with children with autism, ADHD and developmental delay. Karen O'Connor, who has more than 20 years experience in her field, is now questioning the numbers of children being diagnosed with these conditions and she's on the line with us today. Karen, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Cherry. Thank you for taking our call. These figures I'm looking at, the World Health Organization, one in 60 children, others say it's as high as one in 59 when we're talking about autism diagnosis. You're questioning this. Why? Well, I suppose the World Health Organization are quoting figures of one in 160 children presenting with autism or uh, with autistic spectrum disorder at the moment internationally. And as as you said there, other organizations are quoting figures as high as one in 59. What I'm seeing here, I mean, we run a very busy clinic in Dublin and Galway, and what I'm seeing here on a daily basis is that families are coming in with either a diagnosis of autism or a tentative diagnosis of autism, and at least half of those children do not have autism. And these numbers that you're talking about there and your experience, Mm -hmm. I take it that in the 20 years since you began practising, these numbers have grown? Absolutely. When I qualified first, Jerry, if I saw one child per month with a diagnosis of autism, that was it. Today, if I see five children per day, at least three of those children, if not four, will have a diagnosis of autism or a tentative diagnosis of autism. And where is this, uh, let me say, why is this? What's the problem? How come this misdiagnosis? Well, you know, it, it, it's an interesting one. I suppose people are looking at it in all different ways to see what are the factors involved with autism. Is it genetic? Is it hereditary? Is it environmental? Is it, you know, what exactly is it? And like looking at the information that's out there on a worldwide level, basically they're saying it's multifactorial. It's a, it's a combination of factors. Um, what I'm seeing is, and you know, and this is, I suppose, what we're seeing internationally as well, is that children are presenting with more difficulties. They're presenting, you know, with symptoms that are looking like that they're on the spectrum, whether that be flapping, whether that be uh, poor eye contact, whether that be very busy or not wanting to interact and engage. So children are presenting with more and more of these difficulties. And as a result, children are being being diagnosed with autism. But I suppose my concern is, and this is why over the years we've started looking at things in a different way, looking at all the pieces of the jigsaw, where we're not only looking at the speech and language end of things, but we're also with our colleagues in this area looking at the biomedical end of things we're looking at the occupational therapy the motor end of things we're looking at the sensory end of things so we're trying to look at all of the factors and see what's really happening with these children and how can we really help them achieve their greatest potential it's great that you're doing this but what concerns me listening to what you're saying today is that basically in the state in the healthcare system that this diagnosis has been made incorrectly now is it a question of you know the easy option you know without going deeper doing what you're doing I don't think it's so much the easy option. And, you know, there'll be a lot of professionals out there who will refute that and say, no, children aren't being misdiagnosed. But we're seeing it here in clinic because once we look at all the pieces of the jigsaw with the families, with the kids, and start putting the right um, approaches in place, whether it be sound therapy, sensory integration therapy, whatever it is, we're starting to see the children make these gains, these changes, this progress that they haven't made up until that point. 
I mean, I have a lot of families come into me, and I suppose I'm a private practitioner, so, but I have a lot of families who come to me, and they're so distraught. They've been given a diagnosis, and they've been put on a waiting list that could be anything from six months to two years. Um, they, you know, and families are really at the end of their tether, not sure what to do, not sure how to help their child progress in that in that time or over, you know, over the years, and they're really looking for help. How can you know? How can we? I suppose the questions really are for me. How can we look at all the pieces of the jigsaw to ensure that we're that we're making the right diagnosis in the first place? Because a lot of the children that I'm seeing, Jerry, that are coming in with a diagnosis of autism, and I have to say, it's not my diagnosis to make whether it's autism or not. Mm. But in you know, I'm working with the team here, and in all my years of working, and I've worked with the health board over the years, and um, on many uh, child psychiatry teams where that diagnosis is made. So. I have a lot of experience in this area. And so when we're looking at the children here and looking at all the pieces of the jigsaw, we're really seeing that by addressing those pieces, and those pieces often are more sensory-related than autism-related. But unless the professionals looking at the children have a real understanding and working knowledge of sensory integration, it's very easily, very easy to misinterpret what could be, what, what people often perceive to be indicators of autism, like poor eye contact, lack of engagement, um, being very busy, you know, um, having regular meltdowns. They also can be features of sensory processing difficulties or sensory processing disorder. So it's critical that someone on the team who's making these diagnoses is really okay with sensory integration and well experienced in that area because they'll be able to tell the difference between a child who has poor eye contact for sensory reasons alone or a child who has poor eye contact related to an autism diagnosis. Now, I can imagine uh, parents who have children in this category, uh, who have children, you know, perhaps on the spectrum, they're concerned, they want to get a diagnosis, they want to get them assessed as quick as they can and they want to get them supported and any assistance they can get as soon as possible. But listening to you there now... If it's misdiagnosed and it's not autism and it is on the sensory spectrum elsewhere, is is that a real, um, you know, problem? You know, that you're diagnosing children with autism who are not autistic. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it is a real problem and I think it's causing a huge amount of unnecessary stress for families because they're being given a diagnosis and if the team looking, if there isn't that understanding of sensory integration, as I say, it can easily be misunderstood and perceived that, yes, the child is on the spectrum, whereas, in fact, there are sensory issues there that need to be addressed separately. And once addressed, that child will start to lose all those features. So it is causing a huge amount of distress, and it is a real problem. And I see what you're saying. You know, often we think early diagnosis is a great idea, and and it should be, I suppose, a good idea. I mean, I'm not hugely in favour of diagnosing itself or putting a label on a child because I think that can bring a lot of limitations and maybe a lack of expectations for the child and for the family. But I can totally understand why, you know, the service want to look at early diagnosis and put the child on the right care pathway so that they're receiving the right treatment. 
But if the diagnosis isn't correct, and this is, you know, and I'm not questioning the other professionals, but I'm just saying we need to look at all the pieces of the jigsaw. We need, there needs to be someone on that team who's making that diagnosis, who truly understands sensory processing, sensory integration, and how, how you know, sensory difficulties can look so similar. Uh, for children who are on the spectrum. And I have to say, because people will say, well, children with autism or on the spectrum often have sensory processing difficulties as part of that. And that is true. But there is a separate group of children who present with sensory issues, which can look very similar to autism, but it isn't related to autism. Now, neuroplasticity is a word that crops up a lot in the context of your work. Tell us a bit about this. Well, I think this is I think this is often where we're falling down, because when we look at the child from a neuroplasticity point of view and neuroplasticity really is saying the brain can adapt and change. And this is true for any age, not just for children. It's for it's for all of us right into old age. The brain isn't hardwired. You know, we used to think years ago that the brain was very much hardwired. It was like a computer and, you know, you couldn't really adapt it. But we now know that the brain is constantly adapting to life experience and and to, you know, what's happening on a minute by minute or daily basis. And I suppose one of the leaders in this field is Norman Doidge. And Norman Doidge is a very famous uh, Canadian psychiatrist who has written a lot about neuroplasticity and about how to use non-invasive techniques like sound therapy, which we use here, to help children and adults um, help their brains to function at their absolute best. And so the neuroplasticity piece, you don't hear very many people in Ireland talking about neuroplasticity, which I'm surprised about, and particularly as it relates to children on the spectrum or children presenting with any developmental issue, because it's critical that we use techniques that are impacting on the neuroplasticity of the brain. They are working on the brain from the inside out. And I suppose this is my other, you know, point that I think is so important for families to hear that sound. I mean, I'm a speech and language therapist with over 20 years experience. And about six years into my career, I really felt that speech therapy, as great as it is, was only bringing children on the spectrum and with more complex needs to a certain point. But it wasn't helping them achieve their potential. And that's when I started to look for other techniques and approaches that could really help children move further. And I found over the last 14, 15 years that using sound therapy, combining it with either speech therapy or occupational therapy or psychology or whatever it is, helps children to go much further and to truly achieve their potential. So one of the techniques that we use here that's very much working on the neuroplasticity of the brain is sound therapy. And I think that's a a critical approach that I'd love to see the health service and more services take on board. This is so interesting. And I'm sure there are parents listening today who have concerns about their children. You've set up this YouTube channel. Tell me about it. Mm -hmm. Well, I've done different things over the years, Jerry. And and funnily enough, I know I spoke to you a number of years ago in relation to a book that I wrote called Music is the Key. Yes. And so we've done lots of things over the years. We've been, you know, I suppose, obviously treatment here with the families on a daily basis, seeing the quality of treatment, seeing the children make such great progress, writing the book, creating a DVD. And one of the latest things I did to try and get the information out there to families, because I see so many families that are so upset. And, you know, they're really wondering, what does the future hold for my child? We've been given this diagnosis. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. And so I thought, okay, let's look at something else. So I created a YouTube channel called openingyourmind.com. And um, 
and openingyourmind.com really have created their whole series of videos for families to watch to help them to get started today with their child to A, understand what's happening for the child, but B, understand why it's happening. Is it for sensory reasons? Is it because of something else? And it's not just related to autism. I've created four series of videos, nine videos in each, in each series for children who are, are worried, do, you know, does my child really have autism? Or um, my child has dyspraxia, how can I help him achieve his potential? Or if my child has sensory processing disorder or auditory processing disorder. So they're the first four areas that I've covered. But we're going to build on those over the coming weeks and the coming months. And so really that's, I suppose, our latest offering to help families to get started today. Families who are worried and concerned, who are either waiting on waiting lists or are receiving treatment, but maybe aren't receiving treatment that's working on the neuroplasticity of the brain. Um, Another thing that we did, I think that might be of real interest to families, is we did a lovely piece of research with Hollis Street Maternity Hospital um, a couple of years ago using the sound therapy. Because people often say, God, you know, there isn't a lot of um, research out there to say that the sound therapy works and all of that. And that's often the excuse that can be used by other professionals in relation to sound therapy which I think is very unfortunate because the children that we see here are changing so much because, very much because of the sound therapy. So that piece of research is due to be published in the Irish Medical Journal uh, by the end of January. So there's, you know, that's another piece that's adding to and that's going to give, I suppose, families the information that they need to move forward in the best possible way with their child. Fantastic. Well done to you. Now, if people want to get in direct contact with you, just tell us how they do. Okay. Probably the best way, Jerry, is to go, go to openingyourmind.com. That's the YouTube channel that we've created. And as I say, we created because we run two very busy clinics here, one in Dublin, one in Galway. And to be honest, I, I just felt I was just seeing so many families on a daily basis who were so upset, who didn't know where to go, didn't know what to do. And I knew that was only the tip of the iceberg. So I really kind of took a little bit of time out and put the time aside to create this channel so that families can get what they need there. Because I know that realistically, there's only so many families that we can see here. But it's all about families knowing what to do, how to get started, but also then going to their health board or whoever they're involved with and saying, look, you know, I'm aware of this technique, whether it's therapeutic listening, which is a form of sound therapy, whether it's advanced therapeutic listening or other forms of sound therapy. And this is what I would like for my child. So it's really about, you know, talking to whoever they're involved with as well and saying, look, you know, we're following this program. We're doing all of this. We know what we need. How can you help us to get it? Well, you are certainly opening our minds this afternoon, Karen O'Connor. Really, it's a great pleasure to talk to you again. And I'll remind listeners, if you want to find out more, or go onto the YouTube channel, openingyourmind.com. we leave it there for the moment. Thank you for joining me, Karen. Lovely. Thank you, Jerry. That's our lot on Late Lunch for this Tuesday afternoon. Again, massive congratulations to all our unsung heroes who've been honoured today on the show. Thank you to the people in the Valley Inn who've looked after us so well today. And we'll be back with another Late Lunch for you tomorrow from half past one. Take care of yourselves. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how shockingly affordable a new Dacia is in the new year. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.